Hi, I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. Today is an important day. It's our first Ask the Expert episode. Now, what we've decided to do is dedicate the last Tuesday, which is our broadcast day, of every month to opening up the doors, the platform, to you guys. You ask, we answer. This is the opportunity for you to write in to us with any questions or problems that you may be having about a particular area and we will put it to our expert. So in this episode, we are focusing on the feeling of being stuck and how we can get ourselves out of it. It seems to be very top of mind and something that most people struggle with. And we've got an amazing expert that is going to answer all of your questions. She's called Britt Frank. She's a licensed neuropsychotherapist and trauma expert and author of The Science of Stuck. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Happier Life Project, Britt Frank. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you for helping us kick off the first of, I hope many ask the experts on the Happier Life Project, where we basically let our listeners and app users get some free mental health and wellness support, because that's not always easy to do, as I'm sure you know yourself. True story. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Your area of expertise being stuckness, it seems to me that this is becoming quite a widespread problem. I don't know if it's since reading your book, I've been more alerted to it maybe, or it just seems to be it popping up. Um, it seems to be quite top of mind. And again, even by the amount of questions that we've had, would, would you agree? I guess this is what inspired you in the first place with you know, creating your social media account and, and writing the book. Well, it's kind of wild. I started the Science of Stuck book before the pandemic. That book had been sort of gestating since 2017 and then COVID and then stuck became a thing that was literal and not just this, oh, I feel stuck in my life. It's mm. no, we're literally stuck in so many places. And I think everyone can relate to the Not everyone can identify as having trauma or a mental health challenge, but show me a human who's not felt stuck and I'll show you someone who's not very honest. <laughs> that is such a good point I mean yeah you dropped the p word pandemic and maybe part of it is though that because the world has changed since then there's a lot more people working remotely that maybe this stuckness is something to do with that because we're not physically as active going to work for many at least it's it's more lonely it's true. And I really love the option of not going into the office every day. I take a few yeah. days and work from home, but the I work from home all day, every day is really hard on our brains because there's, like you said, there's no just human interaction. There's And I don't like human interaction in an office. I've worked in an office setting and I was delighted yeah. to not do that. Nevertheless, it's really hard on our brains to have where we live, be where we work, be where, where, where we do all the things, you know, it's like, this is where we are. This is where we work. This is where we live. And that's really hard on the brain. That's mm -hmm. going to create a bigger feeling of stuckness. 
Um, mm. I mean, but we all know what it's like to be stuck, stuck at work when we had an office all day, stuck at relationships, stuck with habits. We all know stuckness yeah. is a very human thing. Yes. And and this is what you're here to help us with a bit. It's that kind of feeling, isn't it? Of like, I'm wading through treacle and I just can't get out or get where I need to be. And it's a slog. And I think that's when it can take a toll on our mental health. But according to you, the good news is you're not lazy, crazy or unmotivated. Your brain is not your enemy. It's actually on your side. I think that one, I wish someone had told me that early in my struggles with anxiety and depression and panic and eating disorders and drug addiction and all my own stuff. It's like, I really thought there was a demon monster living inside my head that was out to get me that I was fighting with all day. Lo and behold, our brains can create all kinds of messes and symptoms and scariness, but they're on our side. What? You mean this thing inside my, this three pounds lump of salt and fat and water wants me to be alive? It wants to help me? Just that reframe alone started changing mm. how I viewed my own symptoms. And then I didn't feel like I was at war with myself anymore. It was me and my brain against a problem, not me versus myself. Because Dr. Dan Siegel, who I love, he says, if you're fighting with yourself, who can win? So we want to stop the war in our heads. Oh, yes. And before we start going into other people's brains, one more question. Uh, (laughs) Can you give me and our listeners some examples of how somebody might be stuck? What are the most common areas that, you know, you deal with and see? I think the most common areas would be, I feel stuck in a job that I hate. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like the work I'm doing. I don't like the people I work with. I don't like the boss I'm working for. So I think stuck at work is a biggie. The thing I hear the most often from everybody is I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, it's not confusing to me what I need to do to make my life better. Quit the drinking, leave the relationship, fix the relationship, set the boundary, go to the gym, whatever. Nevertheless, there's this other part of me that seems to take over and the thing I know I need to do, I'm not doing. And why can't I make this jump between what I know and what I do? I think that's probably the the most common one that I hear. It's like you're in my head. What is the answer? (laughs) (laughs) Have you found out the answer yet? (laughs) Not the answer, but I I have an answer for what to do about it. The why do we get stuck? is a great question, but like, why are you stuck? They could, the, the researchers call that jump, the intention action gap, meaning I have this great intention, but mm-hmm. like somewhere between my good intention and the outcome I want is this giant chasm that I seem to fall into. I call that the sea of stuck. And we get so focused on why we fall into the sea of stuck that we forget that the solution is to build a bridge across the gap, not to swim around in the sea, wondering how the water got there. Mm-hmm. And so there are ways of bridge building. And I'm happy to talk about those today. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm sure you're going to give us some examples as we go through some of these. Okay. I feel like I'm stuck to my screen. (laughs) I have a remote job where I work every day from my laptop. In my breaks, I scroll through social media. And in the evening, I watch Netflix. I even do my workouts at home following along to YouTube. I would love to know any ways I can become unstuck to my devices. Mm, that's a really, t- I, I 
First of all, I feel you. I do the same thing. The first thing to know is, again, there's nothing wrong with you. We get stuck to our screens, one, because they're designed to get us stuck to them. So Mm -hmm. that's a big thing to remember. And two, when we're overwhelmed, scrolling is one of the easy, it's legal. It's not going to kill you. You're not going to get arrested. It's not like a drug addiction. So when we're numbing out with our screen, it's just the easiest thing to grab. So let's start with, it makes sense that this is a thing and you're certainly not alone. Number two, we need to know, well, what are you willing to do? Because I can give you all the little hacks, right? Like turn your phone to grayscale because if your phone is black and white, it won't be as interesting to scroll and set timers. But Mm -hmm. frankly, if all that stuff worked, it would have worked. So what I suggest to people is don't start too big start really small. It might be that in between when you close your laptop and you open your phone, take 30 Mm -hmm. seconds, put on a song and do anything but look on your phone, like literally do anything for 30 seconds and then go to your phone. And what we wanted, because everyone, especially around New Year's, tries to take these big, huge, I want to change my life. I want to quit my screens. It's like, you're not going to. Our brains don't brain like that. Start small. Start with something that's so ridiculously easy to accomplish that when you accomplish it, you're going to get a little hit of dopamine. And then you're going to get a, oh, maybe I can do more. Go from 30 seconds to 40 seconds, from 40 seconds to one minute. And I call those micro yeses because you're not going to quit your screen by putting down your screen. That's just not how it works. You will be able to quit feeling locked by your screens in 30 seconds. You can do this in 30 second increments, five minutes too long, one minute too long, 30 seconds. And if 30 seconds is too much, try for 10. Mm. You know, I noticed how much of a problem screen addiction is when I was traveling on the metro, the underground I was actually in Rome and that was when I first noticed I got on a, on the subway and I looked around and not one single person in a packed out train carriage was not looking at their screen. And then once I saw it there, then I saw it, I live in Lisbon now, so I've seen it on the subway here and in the UK. Like So then that actually stopped me from looking at my screen because I was so fascinated at looking at everybody else on their screens and going, oh my God, like there would have been a time where we might have been having a chat with each other or, you know, reading an an actual book with paper. And now it's just, yeah, it was almost like zombie-like looking at it, you know? It is zombie-like. And it's. I love what you said about looking around at everyone on their screens because you can make this fun, a fun game to play if you're going to people watch is, you know, my I have judgy parts that are like, oh, that person looks mean and that person looks mad. But a better way to judge people is look at people around you on the train, on the subway, wherever, and ask yourself, I wonder what their superpower is. And if I'm going to make up a story, I bet that person is <laughs> like really good, like amazingly good at... I don't know, pick a thing, plumbing, whatever, Uh, amazingly good at sending cards on holidays. And that'll at least occupy your brain like a chew toy, like a new puppy. We don't want the puppy to have free range. Otherwise it pees everywhere. We need to give a puppy chew toys. (laughs) Our brains are the same. Right. Got it. Okay. This one is just one sentence. How do I move on from someone after two years? Oof. So they're clearly stuck in their relationship. 
Oh, it's so real. And again, I've withdrawn off of hard drugs and I've withdrawn off of people and the people withdrawal is harder. So the question of how do I move on after two years requires a whole lot more context for me to really answer, but I can answer broadly. Let's start with what are your choices? Can you make a list of five options? Do you have friends that can support you? Do you have access to a therapist or a group or an online community or something? Like, I don't know what your choice points are, But in order to answer the what do I do question, we have to start with what's available to you. Because I hear this in my office. People come in all the time. What do I do? I'm like, well, before you pick what you do, first, we have to know what's teed up as the menu. If you have no friends and no job and nobody who you can call, we're going to need to do that first because there's no way you're going to get over to your relationship if you have absolutely nobody in your ecosystem. So let's start with what are your resources? Make a list of five. Of those, what are you willing to say yes to? And if the answer is none, great, let's break them down and make them smaller. You might not be you know, willing to call someone. Might you be willing to text someone? Might you be willing to lurk on someone's Insta account and read up on relationship withdrawal or whatever? But we want to go to what are your choices? And then what are you willing to say yes to? Mm. I think the fact that they've even written into it, this book, one came in through Instagram, the fact that they've even, you know, messaged us means they want to. So, yeah, absolutely. It's like, think about how you get there, I guess. I'm going to follow up with this one, which is also in in terms of romantic relationships, stuck in a pattern of short-term relationships. Hi, Britt. I'm a single girl in my mid-30s. I work remotely and not a big drinker, so tend to only meet people online. Uh, I'm no supermodel, but I scrub up okay. But to say it's slim pickings out there, I seem to attract much older guys who clearly are after a young thing on their arm or time wasters or male hoebags. I've been on great first dates, then been ghosted, been on a few for a few dates and it's fizzled out or just couldn't bring myself to take up the offer of a sugar daddy. Uh, it started to make me feel a bit sad and lonely. My longest relationship has been about a year and that was years ago. Now, is there something wrong with me? Oh, oh that is, I feel, <laughs> I feel you so hard on that. Like I really yeah, do. It's me too. So like douchey people, sugar daddies, you know, people that play games, people that ghost. I promise you, you're not the only one. I've been on the receiving end of it. I know nobody in the dating world who has not been on the receiving end of just the the mess of what humanity can offer. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. That said, what we want to do, and I really believe this, and I've done this I've done the opposite of what I'm about to say. And I've been in really chaotic, crazy making relationships. It's just a disaster. So I really do get it. And this is easier said than done. But dating does such a number on our brains. Like neurologically, dating is like having, I call it the chemical cocktail party that happens when you start dating. If you are going to ask your brain to cope with the shenanigans of the dating worlds, Are you solid in your other areas? Are you solid in your friendships? Are you solid in your job? Are you solid in your management of your finances? Are you solid in activities that you like to do that don't require a partner? And you don't need to love yourself before you can love someone else. But it's really helpful to have yourself anchored in your life before you jump into the shark infested dating waters. Because number one, it'll be a lot easier to 
to spot that stuff and to wade through it when your other areas are solid. And it's a lot easier to know who you are, what you want, and not be willing to play, you know, people who waste your time by texting forever instead of like, let's get together and have coffee. You'll, yeah. You won't be willing to tolerate that because you're too busy. It's listen, I need you to book me a week early because I have a busy and full and exciting life. So that not only does that make you a, you know, I don't want to say a more desirable candidate, but it will certainly make you too busy for the nonsense of the dating world. So you sort of screen it out that way. But if mm -hmm. we're asking our brains to do the heavy lifting of dating, we need to be solid at least somewhat in the other areas first. Otherwise, we're going to be in a, I call it a dating deficit when we start. And that doesn't usually work well. It can. It didn't for me. It doesn't for people I know. So, mm -hmm. but there's nothing wrong with you fundamentally. I don't even know you and I don't need to, to say, I promise you, you're not crazy. You're not broken. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with you. We just need to reconfigure some of the factors. Mm, it's so hard when it's the online dating thing. I, I, I can't say Oof. I'm a fan. That could be a whole other podcast episode. So let's let's go on to a question about, um, and you mentioned it as a prime example of when somebody's stuck. So about in terms of work, I have a job I used to love. I've been with the company for three years, but for months now, I've been feeling the go-to-work dread, which I never used to have. Structurally, the business has made some changes and I feel like my boss has lost interest and I, I have caught their lack of motivation. The problem is I work many hours and I don't feel like I have the time or energy to find something new. I'm not even sure if I would want to continue in the same field because I feel like the life is being sucked out of me presently. That said, in the past, uh, this company have supported me when I needed time off and it wasn't always like it is now. I feel stuck waiting, hoping things might change or I might get my mojo for the job back. But like I said, it's been months. Britt, can you help me see the wood from the trees? So with the work situation like that, it's really hard to know without the details. But is the situation fixable? And some situations are fixable. If you have a boss that's willing to, to look at it and willing to troubleshoot and strategize and problem solve, it might be fixable. Waiting for it to get better is likely not going to work. But if you have people that you work with that are willing to look at the reality of the situation and make changes. Awesome. I don't, that doesn't happen very often, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but like, if you can do that, if it's fixable, fix it. But more often than that, it's not. And I get it. You're burnt out. You don't have the energy to find a new job, but the new job is the solution to the current job. So, okay, we got to make that smaller. I found that a lot of people in this situation are still, even though they feel like crap, are still working at 100%. So yeah. I'm not suggesting that you work, you know, that you cut back to the point of being fired or incompetent, but can you suck a little more and work a little less? Can you just <laughs> shave the edges? Just a little, just a hair. If you're, if you can find a way to suck a little more and work a little less, that will give you extra bandwidth to then take over to looking for something new or talking to someone or talking to a recruiter. But again, it's not get yourself fired. It's can you just suck a little bit more? Just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had a follow up question to that actually is how do you know, like when it's time to persevere and grin and bear it or whether it's time to cut your losses and, and to move on? 
And I know that's really easier said than done. Yeah, (laughs) and broad, yeah. (laughs) That'll also depend on your choices and on your, like when I burned my life to the ground and quit my job and decided to go back to graduate school, I didn't have kids. I didn't have a partner. I could be in a situation where I had no money and I was eating ramen for a while because I didn't have other people depending on me. If you Mm -hmm. have three children and an aging parent and you're caregiving for the neighbor's kids, that's going to limit your options. So the do I grin and bear it has a different weight depending on your environment. And again, it goes back to what are you willing to do? I hated my jobs. I worked in advertising. I hated my job so much. I was literally willing to do anything to not have to do that, including wait. I quit my job and waited tables because I was so unhappy and I had no energy. It was like kill. It was destroying my health. And so I'm like, I need to wait tables and do something that at least at the end, it's not easy to wait tables, but at the end of the day, you do get to leave it there. And then you have, you know, your mornings free. And that gave me the time to sit down and think, what do I want to do? Ultimately, I went back to school in my thirties and changed careers. But again, it comes down to what are the realities of your situation that will give you your menu of options of those? What are you willing to say yes to? But for burnout and I'm working all the time, like suck a little bit more, work a little (laughs) bit less, take the lunch hour, take a little bit of time off the beginning of your day, take a little time off the end of your day. And that sounds not ideal, but it's not an ideal situation. Sometimes no, that's the best option. I think you should make it into merchandise, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag suck more, work less. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. What are some of the things I can do that can help me with dealing with a negative voice in my head? This might be the root of many people's stuckness, to be fair. And I know, again, it's very vague, but that's how it's come in. There are lots of ways of working with a critical inner voice. And I, it's actually a new project that I'm working on, which is all about how to work with those inner voices. But one of the my favorite hacks for a critical inner voice, because we all have one, first of all. So you're again, you're not alone. Everybody from every area, from every level of success has one. What if you thought of your critical inner voice as a three-year-old instead of as an angry parent or someone you admire? Because when a three-year-old is having a tantrum and says, I hate you, you stink, you're the worst, it has a different resonance. It's like, oh, like that's a bummer that you feel that way, kiddo. But my sense of worth is not dashed on the rocks when a three-year-old is having a tantrum. For some parents hearing, I hate you, mommy, is devastating. But generally speaking, if a three-year-old tells you you're no good, then it's like, oh, pat, pat, do you need a snack? Do you need a nap? Do you need a hug? Not, oh my God, this voice is telling me who I am. We want to deactivate The voice isn't going anywhere. So you can fight with it. You're going to lose. But what if we can turn that voice into a terrified toddler instead of an angry parents? It does change everything when you do that. Nice. I do want to include that voice note question that we got. I'm going to see if I can play it. Hello. I wondered if you could ask the therapist how you set boundaries with yourself. So say you have like a life goal or you have something that you've always wanted to do, but you feel like your limits and beliefs or daily schedule is like getting in the way how can you have a boundary with yourself to like make sure you act on that 
So setting the boundary with ourselves is ideal. Like that's great. You know, I'm only going to look at screens till six o'clock and then I'm going to power it down. I'm only going to blah, 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 when blah, blah, that doesn't usually work. So rather than trying to strong arm yourself with boundaries, what we want to do is create momentum. We don't need motivation because you're not going to find like motivation doesn't come before we start doing things. Motivation happens after we start doing things. So rather than shooting for our goals, what we want to do is generate enough of repetition and enough momentum that then the motivation kicks in. And the way to do that, I, I, it's almost silly with this micro yes thing. I was, I'm like, really like all the grad school and training mm-hmm. and all the therapy I've had to do. And, you know, again, I take medication. I see a therapist. It's not always so easy as micro yes your way and life will be great. But when it comes to achieving big goals, you achieve big goals by micro yesing your way through the starting gate until you build the momentum and then unlock the motivation that you need to keep it going. But we start our goals too big and that's unsustainable. And we think we need to feel motivated and we don't. That's not how brains brain. So make it small and focus on momentum, not motivation, and focus on building a loop of behavior that will then unlock the motivation feeling that you're looking for. Brilliant stuff. Okay. Stuck in my body and the way I look. No matter what diet I try, I lose the pounds, then gain the pounds. My weakness is I stress eat, but with three young kids, a full-time job and issues with my husband, I can't seem to stop myself. I'm in my late 30s and I miss the body I had in my early 20s, but when I try, I fall off the wagon. I feel stuck in a body that doesn't feel like my own. What can I do? Mm. I've been there, done that, have the t-shirt. I get that. I have never seen things like drugs or food or any type of comfort seeking behavior that we do be solved by trying to just stop doing the thing. Like you can white knuckle your way through a diet. You can white knuckle your way through quitting drugs. You can white knuckle your way through almost anything for a little bit. But like you said, then before you know it, your brain goes back to braining the way it always has. So rather than trying to solve the problem of food at the level of food or the problem of body at the level of body, meaning you're not going to look in the mirror, give yourself 20 affirmations and feel any better. Like that's just, that's not a thing. Hmm. Let's figure out where the pain is. And Gabor Mate, whose work I love, he always said, and I'm not saying that you're an addict, but generally speaking, any type of compulsion or thing that we're doing impulsively, he says, ask not why the addiction, ask why the pain. And it sounds like with three kids and some marital issues, You're under a lot of stress. If we do not find other comforting ways to cope with that stress, the part of you that uses food is all alone out on that limb. So what we want to do is figure out, again, what are your resources? How can we dial down the pressure? If you think of your compulsive eater as someone trying to protect you and not someone trying to sabotage you, it doesn't solve the problem. It reframes it. But then the problem is your heart is in pain and your life is stressful. So that's not going to get solved by you losing weight. What we want to do is de-stress where we can to whatever degree that we can. So that way the comfort eating, it doesn't need to do that job anymore or as often that makes sense. Mm, Yeah. Um, This is another question from somebody else also about body issues. How can I deal with body shame and anxiety? Mm. 
oh, the body shame thing. And we all, I don't know anybody who grew up with um, someone with a caregiver that modeled healthy body image. So yeah. I, I know literally no one who grew up watching their parent go, oh, wow, I love the body that I'm in. So we're not going to go from body shaming to body positivity. Again, that's too big of a jump. So what we want to shoot for is body neutrality. So can we dial the volume? If you're staring in the mirror every day at every area of your body that you don't like and do I call them body checks, you know, like, oh, just checking to make sure I still hate this part of me. Yep, sure, dude. Does that part of me still look like crap? Sure does. See if we can manage those behaviors. I had to do, I didn't have to, I chose to do a year where the only mirror that I had in my house was just a teeny tiny square so I could do makeup. And I did not look in a mirror, not to avoid my body, but to try to focus not on what it looks like, but how it feels. Then I could get to some neutrality. Oh, my body, I don't like the way I look, but I, I am mobile. Today I could get out of bed and walk. So Cool. That's good. I can be neutral about my left ankle. I don't have a problem with how my left ankle is you know, functioning. Then we can focus on the feelings instead of the form. We can focus on the function of our body instead of the physique and how it looks. So if we can switch our attention to that, that's the starting place for body shame. Well, it's one yeah. of them. Why do I keep returning to gloomy feelings? Like I go out with my friends and have a great day, but the moment I'm alone again, I'm just like, life sucks. Even though I had a great time, I don't know why I feel like this. Am I not being grateful enough? Oh, the gratitude thing can get so toxic so quickly. Just be grateful. What's wrong with you? If yeah. you're feeling gloomy, it's because there's parts of you that are sad. And even the best friends and the best night out and the best of everything isn't necessarily going to make you not feel sad. If you feel sad, feel sad. Often we get stuck with depression and sadness because we don't let ourselves have it. You know, it's like, I shouldn't be sad about this. It's not like my life is that bad. And again, perspective is good. It's good to have perspective on things like privilege and access and safety. But perspective just means I recognize that all things considered, I have a pretty good life, but there's also room for me to be sad about things. Comparison is they have it worse. Therefore, my pain is not valid. Therefore, I should be fine, which is going to make you like really, really not fine if you deny that you have a right to be in pain. No matter how good your life is, you have a right to your pain. So the first order of business for something like that is, can it be okay that there are parts of you that are grateful and parts of you that are sad and unhappy and give the mic to all of the parts equally? Mm. Chloe, our social media girl, had a couple of questions. So first of all, can you finish the sentence, you could be stuck if you're feeling? You could be stuck if you're feeling nothing if you're not letting yourself feel if you're feeling stuck try these three things if you're feeling stuck try number one don't ask why am i stuck remember if you're falling into the sea of stuck we need to get you out 
We don't need to know why you fell in. So one, don't ask why questions. Two, make a list of three micro yeses. And a micro yes, again, is not a big step. It's not even a baby step. It's the smallest, most ridiculous possible thing that's so easy to do. It's not even like you don't even have to think about it. It's so easy. You can do it right now. Not next week. Not after you buy the shoes or the good pens. Like make a list of three micro yeses available to you right now. Step three pick one of those and do it. So the three things, don't ask why, identify three micro yeses of those, pick one, do it and go and then repeat. Mm, Brilliant. We're going to move on to the final thing, which is the Happier Life Project's last five in five. So this is kind of a bit more like a quick fire thing. Okay. When and where are you at your happiest? When am I at my happiest? I'm at my happiest when I'm connected to my parts. Where am I happiest? I mean, like, I like my bed. I like my dog, but I like my friends. Where I'm happiest wherever I feel things are safe and quiet. I don't like loud and crowded and big. What's your favorite thing to do that nourishes your mental health? Um, acrobatics. I love doing aerial circus stuff. There's just no, like, there's no way to ruminate or be anxious or spin or worry about what my, my arms look like because they're too busy keeping me from falling. So doing circus is the most useful thing for my mental health that I've ever discovered. I completely get that. For me, it's yoga. And I always say like, if I want to get out of my head, I'll stand on it. I love that so much. (laughs) What piece of advice do you now know that you wished someone would have told you earlier that would have made you a happier person? That a lot of what we think makes us broken or defective or damaged is our brains trying to keep us alive. Like the brain's not wired for happiness. The brain is wired for survival. And there's nothing that you are doing, that you're stuck in, that you can't, assuming that you have relative safety and access to choices, that you can't change. Our brains, again, not wired for happiness, but thankfully they can change. And we can, whoever you are today is not who you're going to be next week, next month, next year. The brain you have now is going to grow and shift and change. Like the architecture of your brain changes. Thank God. What wonderful news. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, What is the most important one thing that needs to change to make the world a happier place? Oof. Okay. I hope I don't get angry DMs about this because I get social injustice and we have to show up and be of service to each other and to the community and we can't stay in a bubble. That's my disclaimer. But I do think the world would be a better place if everyone was willing to look at their stuff and to whatever degree possible, work on it. You know, like, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome if we stopped projecting onto each other. I don't think that needs a disclaimer. I think that's perfectly reasonable. (laughs) Finally, and I think I might have asked you this last time because we've brought this question through from the other series, but I'm going to ask it you again in case your answer is different. What is a simple, actionable first step we can take when it comes to getting unstuck that will help us? on our mission to building a happier life. Make it smaller, make it smaller. If you think it's a dumb size step, make it smaller than that. The pace that you start at is not the pace you stay at, but a micro yes will get you moving and stuck turns into unstuck as soon as you say yes to anything. 
no matter how small. Your brain likes small. And again, James Clear said this, I didn't, but consistency beats intensity every time. A tiny itty bitty step that you're doing consistently beats fits and starts and taking huge steps and then stopping and then getting stuck and then taking huge steps. Do it small. Brilliant. Brit, thank you so much. Okay, so obviously we know about the science of stocks. If anybody's not got their copy, they can get that from all, all the usual places. And there's a follow-up in the pipeline for next year? Yeah. So June of 2024, the Science of Stuck Workbook, which is called the Getting Unstuck Workbook, will be coming out. And I will do a big announcement for pre-orders and I'm going to do a contest and all of that. But I'm so excited to have a workbook companion to offer. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we'll look out for it. For more on you, your website is scienceofstuck.com. Yes. And to follow you on Instagram, it's super simple. Instagram.com slash Brit with two T's, Frank with a K. And uh, you can also listen to me and Brit on the podcast episode, How to Get Unstuck with Brit Frank in the Happier Life Project, which I'm sure many yeah. people will have already listened to, but just in case. Thank <laughs> you for today. Thank you so much. This is always so fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. I hope you enjoyed our first Ask the Experts. Now, our next one is going to come out on the 19th of December and it's going to be, no surprise, Christmas themed. We all know that Christmas isn't all jolly jolly for a lot of people it's a time where you might struggle and if you are having any problems or you're really worried about anything related to Christmas and the new year that's what our next expert will be here to help on so maybe you're worried you're going to feel really lonely and you just love some ideas on how to make some connections maybe you're feeling really stressed and overwhelmed because you've got to see people over Christmas that you're not particularly fond of or perhaps you're worried financially with the burden of present buying and all the festivities. Maybe you're really missing somebody at this time. If you're grieving, it can be such a difficult time of year. If any of this is resonating, then please send your questions or any anything you'd like to share to podcast at mypossibleself.com or you can also message us on Instagram. We are at mypossibleself. And as you will have heard today, I don't mention any names or give away any details. I'm going to assume you wish to remain completely anonymous unless you say otherwise. And I hope I got through most of the questions with Brit today. I'm sorry if I missed a couple out, but I did want to be mindful of Brit's time and also your time too. And on that note, before I close off, just one more minute of your precious time for the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. 
The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you found it helpful, we'd really, really appreciate you leaving us a review. And if you aren't already following us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Please do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.